welcome back to Grit I Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by one member of the collective, the resident moose himself, Mo Nuara. DP usually joins us for these Tuesday shows, but is currently traveling, so cannot. And maybe it's because he, like Brett and I, went 1-0 this week. The collective went 2-3, and three, landed a semblance of a punch, not a full body blow. We are now 20- by one and zero. You mean one and four? Oh, excuse me. I, did I say one and zero? Yeah, if only. Wishful thinking. Uh, one and four for all three of us. Three and two for Mo. Two and three for the collective. We are twenty sixteen and four in the Las Vegas Super Contest, tied for nine hundred and sixty fifth place. We're in the top thirty percentile, Mo. We're not in the bottom half. And before we get to any of the games this week, you were in person for one of the contests this weekend, your beloved Kansas City Chefs. You watched them take on division rival Denver Broncos. How was it? How was it watching Canton Patrick Mahomes in person? Was this your first time watching him uh, in a uh, regular season game? It was. uh, It was fantastic. The Chiefs played a little sleepy, but... You know, got the win, and Denver got the cover. So I was super happy because I bet Denver, and obviously I wanted the Chiefs to win. So we we got the middle. Um, The Chiefs look really good, and Kareem Hunt is, man, that that hurdle was uh, right in front of us, and that was pretty special. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, in person, I definitely also noticed how bad Travis Kelsey is. Man, that guy. Bad? Yeah, he better pray he never goes to a different team. He sucks. Mm. Product of the system. He's Tom Brady of tight ends. <laughs> I mean, he so just drops soft, not good at football. Wow. If he didn't play for the Chiefs, I've never been a fan of Kelsey. I've had a grudge of it against him ever since uh, he blew that playoff game against the Steelers two years ago. But, uh, yeah, he's just kind of a puke, honestly. Well, what he's got going for him is that he's athletic at 6'6", right? He, he can move. He's, he, his hands might not be great. Like you said, he might not be the toughest guy. But you, he can kind of get away with not being that nose-to-the-axe kind of guy at being 6'6". He just has this God-gifted size for him. And when you got a guy 6'6", that can run like that running down the seam, like what is the other team supposed to do, really? Yeah, super good athlete, and uh, you also do see, like, watching live, you see Mahomes' pocket presence that's so smooth, man. He just really feels the rush like a 10-year veteran. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Uh, Denver obviously has some pretty strong pass rushers, and he just he just never got phased. I, I'm not sure if he got sacked once in that game. Two guys that I want to get your take on on the other side of the ball, young guys. One guy you talked about going into the game you're worried about, and he had a great game. That's Philip Lindsay, the, the rookie running back. And then the other guy is someone who could be in line for a big workload. We keep hearing these rumblings about either Manny or Demarius possibly getting traded before the deadline. What did you think about Cortland Sutton as well? Lindsay and Sutton, what were your takeaways from watching those guys in person? It's kind of hard to like evaluate wide receivers, honestly, because um, you kind of have to watch their whole route. And, and 
I didn't really get to pay that much attention to Sutton because I was mostly usually watching the pocket. Um, but I would have to say, man, Lindsey is really, really solid. I don't know how that guy got undrafted, and I don't know why Devontae Booker is still getting touches. Or, man, I just want – he looks really solid, and, you know, he runs really hard for a small guy. And I just think – um this this guy is the exact reason in our preview pod when I said, do not draft Royce Freeman where he's being drafted. And uh, glad I was proven right on that one because I own zero shares of Royce Freeman and I actually laughed at my league mates in the leagues where I saw him getting drafted in the third, fourth round, fifth round, and I just needled them and uh, it's good to be proven right on that one. It's fun to see that guys like Lindsay still exist. The, the only reason or one of the primary reasons why Denver was tipped off to him, local kid. Uh, I believe he went to CU. If not, he's from the Colorado area, so they just had a reason to see him. Like, I don't think the Tennessee Titans are flying all the way out to Boulder to watch Philip Lindsay play football. Not, yeah, he's a Colorado guy. Yeah, so it's one of those things where it's cool that these, thing, these things still happen. Uh, these local guys that just because of proximity... They get seen. They have a little Adam bit of talent. Thielen. Yeah, they get into camp. Yeah, Adam Thielen was out here paying for his own tryouts. Like, he's paying $300 to do these, like, stupid little tryouts for teams or sects of teams within regions. So it's cool that these uh, things still happen. Uh, your Chiefs, overall, how are we feeling? You, you're generally not the most optimistic, but how are we feeling about this team? I feel fantastic. I feel extremely confident that the Chiefs are going to beat the Patriots if they play in the playoffs. I mean, they should have won that game on the road when basically the Pats needed that game way, way more than the Chiefs did. And uh, I just think that in the playoffs, uh, I don't see any chance this Patriots defense slows down the Chiefs at all. But Tom Brady is still just overrated puke and... uh, (laughs) He can't miss, he can't afford to miss any throws when he plays the Chiefs in the playoffs. I promise you that. First of forty, absolutely have to score forty in that game, or else you're not winning. Well, I'm glad we started off positive because it was not a great week for us in the Super Contest. Like I said, off the top, two and three, and not only were we two and three, but the public absolutely crushed this week. The average point total in the contest was three, a full three points. 3.04 to be exact. The top six consensus picks all came through. And beyond that, uh, I have a little Google Doc that I share with the fellas here so that we can prepare each week for all these matchups. And in one column, I have uh, public bets. So basically what the public was doing, and this is on Thursday evening. And of the 14 games last week, 11 of them were covered by teams getting more than 50% of the bets, 11, including 83% Washington, 76% Chicago, 72% Indianapolis, 70% New England, 69%, nice, Green Bay, 67% Philadelphia, 66% Pittsburgh, 64%, uh, 62% Houston, and 61% New Orleans. So of them... Of those 11, nine were getting 60% or more of the action. Mo, we're just never going to have a good week when something like that happens. No, when the window lickers print, 
we are going to get clubbed over the head. And the reason by the, uh, by the square club for sure. And the reason for that is because the books and people might may not know this. Uh, the books are not afraid to take a side in a lot of these games. It's they're not just here to make ten percent vig on every bet place. That's that's not why they're standing. That's not why they're these luxurious, beautiful spaces in these multi-billion-dollar industries. It's because they're willing to take a side and they think they can manipulate the market. So one of the reasons you guys might hear us about talking about the sharp side and trying to fade the public, and the reason is that the casinos themselves are taking sides on these games. If you li- if you download, and I suggest you do, uh, the Favorites podcast from the Action Network, every Wednesday they have a show with Bob Scucci, who's the bookmaker for all Boyd properties in the United States. And he will candidly sit there on the podcast, free to download. You don't have to pay a cent to listen to it. This is the guy making lines for a company valuated at close to $3 billion. He'll sit there on the podcast and say, we will need X team this week. (laughs) Like, just putting it out there. And you can use that information if you please. And that's one of the things that we like to do is if if a casino, if a multi-billion dollar industry needs a side, then damn it, we're probably going to be on the same side, Mo. Yeah, we don't want to be on the fish side in most cases, although definitely um, it's not nearly the only thing I'm taking into account. And sure. I actually had I had one fish side on my card this week, and it did come in. Um, two fish I was going to say two fish. Maybe. I'm not sure about that come bucks. Come on. They were awful. Uh, also, a little in, uh, another indicator that we're not going to do it last two weeks. Teams favored by a touchdown or more are six and two, while during that same exact span, home dogs are two and six. So, <laughs> what are you gonna do? We're just we're never going to perform when big favorites and road favorites are having success. It's just not. Hey, if, if we had most top five, we were. I mean, I'm not saying we performed, but we uh, luck boxed the three and two. Would have landed a body blow. And I do want to give Mo a, a ton of credit. He is crushing the season. He is still picking at 67.5% at 26-12-2. He would have 27 points in the Super Contest, which would be good for tied for 38th, which is incredible. And even better than that, over in Super Contest Gold, the bigger buy-in tournament, winner-take-all, Mo Nuara, you would be the overall leader all alone at the top. Currently four people tied at 26.5 points. You would be... The leader, twenty-seven points. So take a take a quick bow, Mo. Uh, I won't take a bow, but I will say anybody who wants to stake me into the five k, any <laughs> listeners out there, you know where to find me. That's right. At, Just get get at me, and we'll 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 get some equity in that five k next year. Add Mo Nuara and U W A R A H. Let's start this week with my fighting New York Jets. They were catching seven points in Chicago. The final score was ten to 24 and going into the game we couldn't really ask for more we got the news of Allen robinson going out early last week that was good and then right before the game kicked off a couple hours before we got word that khalil mack worked out and was not going to go it's funny early in the morning this line rocketed up it was 10 in some places and then the mac news came out and then it plummeted right back down to eight eight and a half and I was feeling confident. The weather looked crappy. 
the Bears were missing their best defensive player. I thought this was going to be a low-scoring slugfest. And then quickly in the game, I believe it was the second possession for the Bears, they get a really long touchdown. They run a screenplay right at the uh, face of a zero-coverage blitz on the defensive right-hand side. Tariq Cohen does a really good job of showing pass block. There's one linebacker, I forget who it was, one linebacker on the Jets that had a chance of blowing up this play. But he was basically in a position where he was reading the running back, and if the running back showed pass block, he was blitzing. And if the running back leaked out for a route, he followed the running back. Tariq Cohen did a really good job of selling pass block and then leaked out. And if you probably have all seen the highlights, it, it looks like the easiest touchdown of all time. And that's just because it was a screen into a blitz. When you, when you make that call and you get that kind of space, you're, you're just going to score. And from there, the Jets really couldn't claw back. Uh, it was 7-3 at halftime. Again, the kind of low-scoring affair that we wanted. Uh, the two traded touchdowns in the third and fourth quarter, so we were still covering or at least pushing. And then the Bears scored uh, a touchdown late in the fourth quarter with four, uh, seven minutes remaining, and we did not get the cover. Mo, I honestly think if they don't get that 170-yard play, I mean, Trubisky would have had 150 yards passing if it were not for that play. I think this game would have been a lot closer, but we don't get the cover. You were the lowest on the Jets of anybody. Go ahead. Gloat a little bit about being somewhat right. Not fully right, but somewhat right. I was definitely somewhat right here, I feel, just because of the market. Um, that's This was a weird one. This is the one I wanted to start with, too, so I'm glad you picked this one because, uh, man, the line moves. This one was crazy. They, like you said, it just all the steam coming in on the Bears. And I just couldn't figure out why, and I guess we were just wrong. I don't know. I mean, looking over the stats, uh, the Jets pretty much – got slaughtered on offense, um, which, you know, you can definitely see coming because, like, this Bears defense was still good last year. I mean, they didn't have Khalil Mack, and they were still good. But, I mean, if you just look, like you said, I don't want to be that guy. I don't ever want to, like, usually – it's kind of cringeworthy when people say, oh, well, you take away this play. Well, you can't take away, you know, that play because that's part of the sample, but – it wasn't even like a good play. It was just a perfect play call. Yeah, and, uh, it's like unbelievable. It, it couldn't have been more perfect. And we know a, that which, uh, Trubisky is not changing the play. It's just Nagy sending it in and they're running the play. Trubisky's not at that point where he's making line adjustments and, and doing a lot of switches. So it was just the perfect play, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I mean, if he hits him on a 70-yard wheel for a touchdown, I'm not going to say that. You know, 100%. Like, whatever, that's just a great play. But this was just not a great play. It was just a great play call and it just it was just a pokemon uh they put the rock type out there against the electric type and <laughs> yeah. there's just nothing you can do when that happens uh like without that play trubisky had like um five yards per attempt or whatever yeah and uh, he was just as pu- he would have the exact same putrid line as darnold yeah and that was a one yard pass so i'm not gonna sit here and give him credit for it he still sucks, and I think we still could have gotten this cover. We just, you know, it was just that one. I thought we were going to get it. I was in the stadium, you know, so I wasn't watching this, and I saw the score was 17-10 in the fourth, and I thought we were going to get it but because um, I just thought Chicago was going to, like, kneel it out or whatever. I figured there was, like, six minutes left, and um, 
I don't really know. I'm just looking back through it. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they, they just, just started they running just straight. Did a long touchdown drive for. Yeah, they just started running straight and it started working, which is kind of disheartening because one of the calling cards for the Jets, and it's not very 2018 forward, but they're good at stopping the run. And unfortunately, on that drive, the Bears kind of just ran straight and it worked, which really sucked. Yeah, and like the main thing I was counting on in this game was basically the Jets' secondary um, limiting Trubisky, and they did that. So like. I definitely don't think we had like a horrible read here, but um, we needed the Jets' offense to to just do a little more and and than that seventy yarder. So just a couple small things, and you know I was obviously pretty worried when the market pushed this all the way up to ten. It was crazy, man. They just really believed in the Bears. I guess sharps and squares on the same side this week. I think that was a lot of spots uh, this week where that happened. One of the things about the Jets, and we'll cap off this game, that I thought that at least, I knew Robbie Anderson was going to miss this game. I thought at least Jermaine Kerr still had a pulse. I, I thought that he could at least work underneath a little bit and help Sam out, but he is cooked. The The Jets are horrific on offense going forward. I so think- you're telling me a team that had horrible wide receivers... <laughs> And let Jermaine Curse walk. Didn't make a mistake. <laughs> I, I thought. I thought last year he was fine, but he's been totally cooked this year. The t- the, the guy that led the team in catches, Jermaine Curse, ten targets, only caught three of them. The guy who led the team in catches, Deontay Burnett. The only reason he's on the roster is because he was Sam's roommate at USC. So they they just literally have roommates running out there, running routes, like. Imagine if your college roommate, you just made them like your assistant, just because they were really. It's just really hard in 2018 to, like, because here's the thing: in 2018, you're always going to complete passes pretty much. So if you're always going to complete passes, you need guys who can create plays after they catch the ball. That's the Chiefs. It's just really hard to like win without a guy who's going to make big plays or turn shorter plays into medium plays and like you know, get first downs, get open enough to where he can catch a five-yard cross and still get a first down. And the Jets, like, have nobody like that. Zero speed on the outside. And the speed that they do have is Robbie Anderson beating coverage. But Robbie Anderson, if you get the ball to him short, he's more likely to fumble than actually make a man miss or break a tackle or make a play. That's why the Chiefs are so explosive. You get these guys in space. You get Reek or Sammy Watkins. It was good to see Sammy Watkins get the rock. I feel like that guy's been totally ignored, and he's so talented. So it was good to see him get involved this last week. Yeah, that that is where we're at now. Get the, get the ball in space, make a couple guys miss, play some flag football. Let's go to the other 1 o'clock game that we had. This is one of our two covers. We had Carolina plus two at home. Against the Baltimore Ravens, they won outright, and they smashed Baltimore. 36-21 was the final. Joe Flacco, tough day for the kid, 22 of 39. Did not get past the 200-yard mark, less than five yards at attempt. One touchdown, two interceptions. He was benched for Lamar Jackson. Jackson came in and went 4 of 5 for 46 in a touch, which was kind of funny. On the other side of the ball, a great game. From Cam Newton, 21 of 29. He only threw for 219 yards and two touchdowns, but he had 52 rushing yards and a touchdown. One of those passing touchdowns was a bit lucky. It deflected to Christian McCaffrey, who made a great play. McCaffrey himself had close to uh, 
I guess he only had 66 total yards, but he did have two touchdowns, including his first rushing touchdown of the year. And the Carolina defense was what impressed me the most in this contest. They were not very highly rated on DVOA, especially in the pass defense, but they played really solid, like I said, two picks against Flacco. Mo, this was one of the rare. I don't think we really ever had a sweat in this contest. Yeah, this was one uh, my buddy who basically always fires all sharp sides was on the opposite side of me. And uh, he was pretty upset when we were following this box score from the stadium. And this is one of the ones where we just had to put two birds to the market and we're right. And just from an overall standpoint, I do come away from weeks like this feeling more confident in my process to where I would, like in years past, I would have just fired all sharp sides this weekend. But um, I'm more so going with my read because. I do feel like books are kind of over-adjusting because they're scared of, of sharp money in a lot of spots. And maybe the fish side is the right side in a lot of these. And this is probably one of them. I mean, I when I first saw this line, I was like positive this was going to be my top play when I was going through my... Because I just could, did not... This number made no sense to me. But then um, I just pushed it down my ranking slightly and pushed other games ahead of it because... I was even more confident in them and um, you know, it just checked off another box where I'm fading the fish side. And that said, I I still liked the Panthers a lot here and uh, glad to see, you know, I was right in the spot for sure. The one guy that I kind of ragged on preseason and it's somebody that deserves a bunch of credit because coming into this system, uh, didn't seem like it was a great fit. Didn't seem like it was the type of team that he's used to leading or used to scheming for. He also hired his son, uh, I believe, as an assistant. So it's like the highest type of nepotism, which is rampant in the NFL. But North Turner's done a really good job with this offense and kind of piggybacking off of what we just said about 2018 NFL, get it to your guys in space. Well, they're doing a great job of getting it to CMC. This game, they went out of their way to get to rock, get the rock to DJ Moore close to the line of scrimmage. Not necessarily just chuck it down the field, but they ran reverses. They ran jet sweeps, screens, like DJ Moore. They, they went into this specifically wanting to get him the ball in those situations. And he had 129 total yards, 5 for 90 in the receiving department. And same thing with Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel is a guy that's really quick explosive that if they get the ball to him in short territory, I mean, those three guys alone, and then you add Cam to it, like the Panthers are a really interesting team uh, in an NFC that seems like it's underperforming a little bit. Their biggest issue, obviously, is that the Saints are in their division, so they'll be fighting for a wild card spot. But 5-2 and two now, 4-0 and oh at home. Uh, and if this defense is not as bad as the ratings kind of seem i mean mo the people forget this team went 15 and one a few years ago like i mean on paper uh i liked this defense coming into the season well specifically the front seven the, the problem is i didn't like their secondary um but i figured they could probably mask some of it um with a pass rush it hasn't really been the case so far since they've been absolutely awful defending the pass but uh uh, playing Joe Flacco outside will usually help you 
Um, that being said, you know, the Ravens have been decent, but uh, good to see. Maybe that read was not totally horrible because, yeah, they locked up Joe Flacco pretty good here. And what has been a relatively productive offense, I mean, not lighting the world on fire, but not horrible. Let's go to a game that really pissed me off. <laughs> Colts at Raiders. We were on the ultra-sharp side. We had people in our mentions telling us that the Raiders were not going to try, that John Gruden was going to actively sabotage Oakland's efforts to win this contest. And the final score might say that that's right. 42-28, to the Colts go in and get a win in the black hole. But entering the fourth quarter, the score of this contest was 28 to 21. We were up seven plus the three. We were up 10 points entering the fourth frame, Mo. And if you look at the overall stats, the Raiders averaged 7.4 yards per play. That is uh, nine more, 0.9 more than the Colts. Derek Carr was absolutely shredding. There was no answer for this Oakland offense. And then all of a sudden, in the fourth quarter, the Oakland defense, which we know is bad, performed as such, and luck started marching. Jack Doyle shredding on the last couple of drives. He ended with six for 70, and he scored one of the final touchdowns. And the Oakland offense just completely stalled. And I can't believe that that final frame is 21 zap in favor of the Colts. We don't even get a sweat because of a Doug Martin fumble on one of those drives, which ended, obviously, in another touchdown. Mo, I don't know how much of this game you saw because you were probably going back home after the Chiefs game, but if you have not laid eyes on this, I hope that you never do because this was one of the most brutal frames. I mean, this rivals that Dolphins-Bengals fourth quarter from a couple weeks ago. It was so brutal to watch. Yeah, looking at this Raiders defense, it's obviously horrifying on paper, and they've been really, really bad. Particularly, man, their front seven is horrendous. Uh, they just can't do anything up front. And, man, Marlon Mack, he's really added like a nice dimension to this Colts offense, so they don't have to just rely on Andrew Luck, who was throwing ridiculous volume. The last, you know, before the last two, like he, the guy was from 50 passes a game or whatever. And man, yeah, I mean, looks like we were probably fine here. If the Raiders just keep playing like they were playing, I mean, winning the game and winning it with not smoke and mirrors, like really efficient offense, but skunked because Raiders and we just running bad right now. Doug Martin, man, he, and he was a, Actually having an okay game, but that fumble is just inexcusable. It just can't happen. It was it was a super soft fumble, not like a, a double hit or anything like that. Just kind of loses the ball. And the Colts, good on them. They convert right away. The biggest thing here is I think the Oakland defense could only get worse, too. They're talking about trading away Bruce Irvin for a pick, which kind of makes sense. Bruce Irvin is... 30 years old, he's not going to be a part of this rebuild, but at least he's a, a body that knows what they're doing. <laughs> Unlike a lot of these guys in that front seven for 
Oakland. Um, yeah. I think we're going to have some opportunities to bet on Oakland, though. You know? I, I think if we can swallow some stink, uh, this Oakland offense looks like it can still move the ball as long as Gruden dials up some pass plays. I mean, Derek Carr's not the best, but they have decent weapons. They can move the ball. I think we're gonna, I have a feeling we're going to have some spots where Oakland is going to be catching too many points, and we might be able to fire the dog. I think that's going to be a thing. I definitely feel like you're probably right, just because all of the sides that people wanted to fade coming into this week pretty much lost. So like they're going to be inflated because – they just don't want to give these fish layups. You know what I mean? Yeah, and nobody's clicking Oakland. Nobody is reaching into their pocket for their own hard-earned money and putting it down on John Gruden. It's just not a thing that's happening. Yeah, so I thought Revenge of the Sharps was going to be this past weekend, but I feel like it's got to be next weekend. I feel good. We got lucky in this next game, so I don't feel as bad about this weekend. We were taking the one point with the Arizona Cardinals, who are hosting the San Francisco 49ers. Final score, 18-15. to 15. Apologies to any non-betting, non-fantasy audience that had to endure this game for any amount of time outside of that exciting fourth quarter. The Cardinals could only muster three points through the first 45 minutes of this contest. And while you think that we'd be in big trouble, the Niners on the other side only had 12 points entering the fourth frame. But a wild and crazy fourth quarter saw the Cardinals outscore the Niners 15-3 to for them to get the win and the cover. You could see right away watching this game the impact of Byron Leftwich, especially with the usage of David Johnson. He doesn't have the best running line, 16 carries for 59 yards. But they did a lot of creative things with him in the passing game. They split him out wide and threw a smoke screen to him. At one point, he was targeted four times, caught all four of them for 41 yards. He got his total yards over 100 for the first time in what feels like a millennium. And they did even create... I think the one thing that really impressed me the most, and it was a silly little play. It was just a 12-yard gain. But uh, there was a play where they brought in Chase Edmonds to spell David Johnson uh, on a series, or I believe it was just for a play or two. And when Chase Edmonds is in the game, uh, there are certain plays that are in the playbook that are going to be for Chase Edmonds, right? Uh, for example, they're not going to run some of the David Johnson plays for him. They're not just going to run up the gut uh, on like a second and 10 or something because that wouldn't make any sense. But they ran this really creative play action. It's a play you see a lot now. The play action to the running back, and then the running back actually becomes... The, the primary target um, where it's a little like leak out screen and it just you could see how thoughtful of a play call it was to tr- kind of trick the defense and get the ball to Edmonds where he's going to succeed as opposed to just like running the same play with him um, that you would with DJ so it wasn't the most amazing offensive effort for the Cardinals obviously 18 points uh, but they were just a totally different team uh, and the cards have been a team that we've ridden this season. The, they got up to five yards of play, thankfully, finally. Uh, so, Mo, I think the cards are a team that we're going to want to keep our eyes on because 
this kind of game and this kind of output, I don't think the public's going to change their perception too much on Arizona. No, cards are my squad. Nobody wants to believe in them, but I keep betting them week after week. So you know after they get absolutely housed on national TV, I'm definitely going to be on them the next week. And I was, and this was one of my favorite lines of the week right there with the Raiders. Um, that one obviously didn't go so well. This one did. Uh, Cardinals definitely printed for me against the Niners this year. I had them on the money line last time. I just took the one and a half or whatever it was this time. But um, yeah, this spot was obviously one I really liked. And I just had to tell the people, I'm sorry if you're tailing us and you had to and you watch these games, I did specifically tell my friend who listened to me on betting the cards, I said, this is the same thing I told him before the Bears bet. Bet the cards, don't turn it on, don't watch, just look later and know you're going to cover. Yeah. It was good to see Fitz get cooking again too, 8 for 102, and a touch. He was instrumental on that drive to win the game. And that final drive... You know, I, I did lead this off by saying we were a bit fortunate, but Rosen made some big boy throws on that drive into tight windows. Uh, he nearly scored even earlier uh, in the drive, but Richard Sherman looked like young Richard Sherman and broke up a seam pass uh, into the back of the end zone. I mean, actually a really good play uh, to get his hands in there and knock it away. But Rosen just, he just looks so comfortable in these two-minute drives. And I don't know what it is. Is it? It might be teams just not trying to pressure the quarterback, just giving him too much time. But for whatever reason, during these two-minute drills where he's getting three or four guys out in deeper routes, he just looks really good. So I'm I'm definitely on the Chosen Rosen, fan, uh, chosen Rosen train, and uh, I'm going to keep looking for spots for the Cards. The Cards defense, the best unit in this game by far. They held the Niners to 4.2 yards per play. Of course, part of that is C.J. Beathard being C.J. Beathard, but great pressure up front, and the secondary held up even without Trey Boston. So, I mean, they won the game outright despite two turnovers. So, yeah, I feel like we uh pretty much on the obvious right side here. Let's go to the night game, our last game. <sighs> this is one of those where I can't necessarily say that we deserve to win, but we certainly deserved a lot better than... 30 to 20 Saints at Vikings. We had the Vikings as a pick. We certainly deserved better than Adam Thielen fumbling before halftime and then Stefan Diggs stopping his route on a drag route against man coverage. Everything they teach you during that route is that you can sit against zone, but you have to keep running against man. Stefan just stops against man coverage. Cousins throws like he's continuing to run. It's a pick six, and then it was just over from there. I I knew with the Thielen fumble that we were dead, Mo. There was no chance we were getting back into this game after Thielen dropped that ball. Yeah, that was so brutal. <clears throat> this one was one where, like you said, I'm not going to sit here and say we made a bad pick because like, I don't think we did. I actually think that was probably the right side after having watched that game and just knowing, I mean, I was kind of intermittent with this game in the world series, but I mean, the saints weren't moving the ball at all. Drew Brees had five yards per attempt. I just feel like we just got really unlucky here. I mean, Thielen, 
I, you know, Thielen and Diggs blew it for us, which is just so strange because those are the two guys you're pretty much betting on when you're betting on Minnesota. I mean, that's pretty much their offense. So, you know, I mean, the best players on the team have a letdown. I mean, what are you going to do? I just think that we were fine here and good process, bad result, probably. Although the market was really heavy on the Saints, but if the market was really heavy on the Saints because they expected two fumbles yeah. or two turnovers for scores by the caused by the two best players on the team. I mean, let me see your crystal ball next week because yeah. I want some free winners. Yeah, they were looking for that 10 to 14 point swing before halftime and then a pick six to open the second half. That's what they're banking on. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings were literally about to go up at least six probably with getting the ball back second half. Like we were in great shape there. The thing that really tilted me, too, was all the Thielen stuff at the end of the game. And don't get me wrong. I think Thielen is tremendous. We talked about him earlier in this podcast about his story and how he was undrafted and he busted his butt to get into the league. And I have no doubt that he's better than Diggs. I think Thielen is like a top five receiver right now in football. But all of the excitement for him getting to his 100-yard game in absolute garbage time uh, get out of here with that. <laughs> like, I couldn't care less about him getting a meaningless 100-yard game when they're getting their faces caved in by the Saints. Yeah, and I'm just sick of just every talking head, man. I'm just over it all. Like, all these guys just wanking for Breeze, getting, you know, all the yards and all the touchdowns. Not one mention that he played in a dome his whole career and in an <laughs> era where... Nobody is allowed to play defense his whole career, basically. It's just like, I mean, I don't care. Like, you can give him credit. Obviously, he deserves credit. But, like, nobody says anything. There's not one thing said about this stuff. Not the smallest footnote. Yeah. I mean, can we just be honest? Like, why can't anyone just be honest? Like, that Tom Brady game last night, man, shit was pissing me off. Like, (laughs) Well, that's not to derail it too much, but I, I put this in our group chat. This has been the Patriots' foreign Olympic cycle. The Patriots have no talent, and they don't play particularly well. But teams just melt against them. I don't get it. And why? Well, yeah, but why can't like everyone just look with two eyes at a poor throw by Tom Brady and just be like, that was a bad throw by Brady. He missed this one. Like, Why can't they just say that? <laughs> I don't get it. Like, I feel like they say that with like Rodgers. When Rodgers misses a throw, uh, Aaron just missed him here. Or what? Like, why can't they say that with Brady? It just so, like he's making horrible turnover-worthy plays in spots, and they just don't say anything. He's the goat, man. Can't besmirch the goat. Not allowed to. I don't know what else I have to add to this game. It really came down to just two plays. It was before that extremely competitive. Great start to the game. The Saints get the ball, go right down the field. Vikings get the ball, go right back down the field. I think we were robbed of what could have been a great ending here. Um, And my biggest takeaway, Kirk Cousins is balling, man. Like, that dude's playing playing awesome. Yeah, he's playing well, and their O-line doesn't always give him that much. So, yeah, I guess I would just say coming away from this, um, if these two teams meet again down the road in the playoffs, just don't even look at this game for capping purposes. Completely ignore it. It was just wild stuff happening that you don't want to even think about like trying to quantify for the next time. It could play in our favor too. Even if it's like by a half point, 
you know, that little nudge from the previous contest might get us a half point or a point of value here and there. And that's week eight. I can't believe we're halfway through the NFL season. I don't have much to look forward to like you do, Mr. Chefs fan and like DP, Mr. Patriots fan. Uh, But is there any team outside of Rams? I don't even know who the second team in the NFC would be. I I guess maybe Saints. But is there any team? I guess I'll guess I'll say out of this three. Rams, Chiefs, Patriots. Is there any team outside of that three that you think in your heart of hearts is going to win the Super Bowl? Yeah, I for sure still think like the Vikings are drawing live and the Chargers are drawing live. The Chargers? Um, yeah, I mean, really bad coach though, so I don't know. I do feel like my 20... They've done a- or what, what, was, what did we get 25 to 1? I feel like that's definitely um, got a pulse. They've done a great job of keeping both on ice. And I know that sounds so simple, but especially with foot injuries that either never get better or take so long to get better, like just keeping him on ice and only using him when they are going to absolutely need him is, I think is so sharp of their organization. Yeah. And people just don't understand that maybe this is one of the best players in the NFL at any position. So like, he will have a material, large material effect on their team if and when he comes back and is close to full strength. Um, I still think the Eagles have a lot of talent. I I mean, definitely not going to sit here and tell you I would expect them to win the Super Bowl at this point, but I think if they get their shit together, they would have a chance. It makes me really sad that Houston's offensive line is so poor. Because I think they would have a puncher's chance too, but they just can't block up front. If if they had anybody, like I, and, and trade deadline trading for O line just doesn't make sense because it takes way too long to get acclimated to an offensive line. We saw it last year. Uh, speaking of the Texans, when they traded Dwayne Brown to the Seahawks, he just he got there and he couldn't make material difference, and then I believe he suffered a season-ending injury with the Hawks. But you you just can't walk up to an offensive line. And make an immediate change. That that is the one unit I think where cohesion and uh, familiarity is so important, and things like chemistry that we can't really quantify really make a difference. So I don't think there's any improvement that they could make. But man, if the Texans if the Texans should, could just block, that team could be really good. Yeah, and uh, I totally agree with you because this is just one of those things where. They have to be just working as a unit, and you know what? What's funny is it just like anyone trading. I just couldn't understand trading for one player like that, unless you were one player away on your line. That's the thing. That's something that like the PFF guys have always said in the past, and I understand completely why it makes some sense. You know, they always say it's your O line is really only as good as your worst player. Like you need all five guys to be solid. Yeah, you don't need superstars, but if all five guys are solid, you're in good shape because people will just scheme against your bad player and 100%. they'll just come after him and exploit him. And if he's opening up holes, it doesn't matter how good everyone else is. And then you have to allocate a sixth player, whether it be a tight end or a running back. And that means you have fewer routes and makes you less dynamic. Totally. It's crazy. And I think it's always been like this. I think we've tried to 
give credit to other things or try to point out other positions, but from the beginning of time until now, the two most important units in football are offensive and defensive line. The game is won in the trenches because if you can get pressure with four, then you don't have to worry about having great coverage. All you have to have is decent coverage and guys can make plays. And up front, if you can block and create time for passers or lanes for runners, then you can do anything on offense. On the opposite, if you can't get to the quarterback and they have all day, somebody's going to be open. And if you can't block up front, you're never going to get a playoff. So we try to point to other things, but at the end of the day, it's all about the trenches. And it sounds so barbarian, but that's it, man. That's what it comes down to. 100%. I mean, you just look at the the secret sauce behind the Patriots' success. I mean, Tom Brady can't move. You just look at this guy. He has the most dreamy pockets imaginable. And just people just chafe him raw. But, like, nobody gives any credit to this O-line that is just crushing. I mean, the Bills have a really strong pass rush. And for the last two quarters or whatever, I mean, they were really able to keep the Bills' pass rush off him. And this is a guy who can't move. So you combine, but he does have, like, really good pocket presence. Like, he senses the rush super well. And so you combine that with a good O-line, and it's just so hard to sack Brady because they design their offense so well, and this O-line is so good. And the few times you get one guy free, he can often escape. Like, you usually need kind of tandem pressure to get to him. And the Steelers as well, I think, are a perfect example of a team that Big Ben has been this illustrious figure where I feel like for a decade that offensive line has been putting in work both run blocking and pass blocking. They've been so good. Oh, yeah. And just, you know, I mean, Breeze is obviously great, but once again, they've had a fantastic O-line the last couple of years. It's definitely the exception, not the rule, to find a team like the Vikings that has been able to succeed without like even a top half of the league O-line, you know? I mean, I'm not too impressed with this Chiefs unit, but they've been better this year. And I guess Mahomes, to me, is making them look better by escaping when there is pressure and like getting rid of the ball uh, quickly at times. Yeah. Man, Mahomes, he's so good. <laughs> so jealous. Man, he had one throw where there was a guy just absolutely in his face. I, I think it was in the second quarter, and I just could not even figure out how he completed that pass. <laughs> I mean, he fired like a 10-yard absolute dart with nothing from his lower half going into it. And, man, it's crazy. I don't even know how he got it off, and he threw an absolute strike. And it's scary how good this guy is like i was saying if i wasn't a chiefs fan i would be getting annoyed with how much people were fawning over him when i was watching that broncos game on monday night um but uh it's definitely this is a special talent yeah i I definitely i've been joking that the chiefs uh over under two and a half super bowls next 15 years but i would be blown away if they didn't win at least two wow at least two I mean, that's how good he is, though. He is tremendous. And that's how much offense matters now. Like Steph Curry of football. I wouldn't wouldn't have said this 20 years ago. I mean, Dan Marino, obviously, the most material proof there is that it doesn't matter how good your quarterback is if the rest of your team isn't good. But, I mean, in 2018, if your quarterback can shred and your O-line can give him any protection at all, like you're going to really succeed. In a time, and I'm glad we bookended, we started with Chiefs, we end with Chiefs. In a time where... It's flag football, and only offense matters. You have Andy Reid, 
Patrick Mahomes and those pass catchers. Good luck, National Football League. Good luck. And that's week eight. Mo, thank you for joining. Thank you for chatting with me. Miss DP, but this was lovely. As we said before we were recording, we were going heads up on this podcast. But as everybody out there knows, the the ringleader, ring winner, Mo Nuara would crush me heads up. So I'm glad we stuck to football. Follow him at Mo Nuara on Twitter, N-U-W-W-A-R-A-H. I'm at Rich T. Ryan. If you are listening to this via a browser or just a link that you found, I please urge you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We are now available on Spotify, so go check us out there. You can also listen to us on sharpsides.com. Go check them out. And if you have an iOS device, go ahead and download the app. It's Sharp Sides. Make some picks, track the leaderboard, leave some advice nuggets. All that would be amazing. We'll be back on Friday to give you our super contest card. Until then, best of luck with your fantasy waivers. Any other fantasy basketball, maybe? Baskets is back. But until then, peace. Ow.